Okay, good evening. It's so good to see everyone again. It was nice to have a break, as I said, but it's also, also great to be back. And uh, just in time for the high holidays. So it's a good time to be talking about prayer. So we're going to be shifting a little bit up till now. You know, before we broke for the summer, we were talking, having fundamentals of prayer, speaking about general philosophy and attitudes towards prayer, inspiration, as well as going through some of the blessings of the daily prayers. So today we're shifting, tonight we're shifting our focus to the upcoming high holidays. And uh, it's somewhat daunting to talk about the high holidays, you know, Rosh Hashanah, the, the day of judgment, Yom Kippur, the, the day of atonement. And these are sort of I mean, they're the high holidays for a reason, right? They're, they're, they're very lofty. There's a lot of things we understand, a lot of things we don't understand, but we can do our best to try to approach them and maybe gain, you know, offer an approach and a perspective towards prayer during the high holidays. Um, there's a very enigmatic, you know, one of, one of these difficult to understand statements in the Talmud, where the Talmud is wondering, you know, our practice, common practice when it comes to the shofar is that we blow the shofar sort of in two, at least two, but, but primarily two parts of, of the service. We blow it before the Musaf, that's what like the opening blasts. And then we blow it, some blow it actually during the Musaf prayer in the middle, more common custom, I think, is during the, the repetition of the chazan, of the leader of the service during that repetition. But we blow it in two, sep two separate times. And the Talmud actually wonders, why are we blowing it twice? And the Talmud, this is on the source sheet, number one, it says, why does one sound a tekiah and a tru? I mean, why does one blow the shofar while sitting? We actually stand, but it means before we get to the Amidah, the standing prayer, we blow it then while we're still not yet into the Amidah prayer. And then we blow it again during the Amidah prayer, or during the repetition of the Amidah prayer. Why do we blow it twice? So the Talmud says it's in order to confuse the Satan, the Satan. That's the answer. Now, we, you know, hard for us to relate to exactly what that means, confuse the, the Satan. What's the, what is, you know, how do we understand what is Satan? We usually associate Satan with what we call the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination that God creates us in a way that we don't just function on autopilot. It's not just automatic that we do good, but we're challenged. We, if we weren't challenged, there would be nothing to, to, to earn, no, no test in this world. We need to be challenged. So God creates within us an inclination towards wrong. And it's, our, it's, it's the constant battle that we engage in in our lifetime is to overcome those inclinations and always try to do the right thing. So, but the Talmud is telling us that in, on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar twice to confuse the Satan. How does it confuse the Satan? So that's explained by the commentaries. And again, it's not going to give us that much more insight, but what the commentaries say is that there, there's a prophecy from Yeshaya, from Isaiah, that it says, we actually read this verse as part of the prayers on uh, part of the Musaf service, that there, it will be on that day, meaning on the day of, 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 of the re final redemption, that a, he will blow a great shofar. There are, that God will sound a great shofar blast on that day. So the commentaries explain that when, this, when we blow the shofar the first time, the Satan starts to get nervous. Why is he nervous? Because there's another verse that says that, when it, that on that day, at the time of the redemption, the Satan will be quashed. That evil inclination will depart from us. So he's he's nervous when he hears that shofar blast. Maybe today is the day where I meet my end. And then, but, but then we stop blowing. He kind of settles down. And then we blow it again. And when we blow it again, he's like, oh, it's for sure. And he's all confused and he's all upset. And he's not as effective on this day. And that's why we blow it twice. That's what we mean to confuse this, the Satan. We kind of want to throw him off. He thinks that it's, it's, his, it's his last chance. 
And by the way, by the time next year rolls around, he's going to forget again. So we're going to get him again, right? So obviously, this is more of like a, a conceptual idea. And it's hard for us to, to understand exactly what it means. But Rabbi Shlomo Volbi takes this and, and he derives something very beautiful, very meaningful for me. And it could be that some of you could relate to this in the same way that, that I do. And Rabbi Volbi says that, again, as we don't fully understand what this, what this is telling us, but at the end of the day, what, it, what, what, what the sages are teaching us is that on the day of Rosh Hashanah, the day that we blow the shofar, our evil inclination is weakened. We, it's, it's a little bit easier for us to think straight. It's a little bit easier, us for, easier for us to pray with concentration. You know, usually at least when I pray, you know, I can concentrate for a few seconds and then I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about this, you know, and you know, I've planned out my whole day in my head while I'm praying, right? It's hard to concentrate. On Rosh Hashanah, it's a little bit easier. On Rosh Hashanah, we can sort of think a little bit bigger. We can think a little bit loftier. It's just easier for us to be, we're, we're more zoned in, we're more focused. And when I read this, this explanation from Rabbi Bolby, I really relate it to it because I find that it's true for me. I don't know about for you, but I'll, come Rosh Hashanah, all of a sudden I can concentrate. I can concentrate really well. I could go through the whole long Amidah, the whole long prayer, and barely spacing out, if spacing out at all, you know, word for word, slowly concentrating on every word. And it could be it's just random, you know, it just happens to be that on that day, it's a little bit easier for me. But I, I think that maybe it's something more, you know, something deeper than that. It doesn't, it's not, doesn't just happen to be that way. On Rosh Hashanah, God gives us a chance to, to connect on a little bit of a higher level. It's a little bit easier for us. The way that the sages describe it for us is that the, 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 the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination is weakened. But at the end of the day, however they explain it to us, that's what, that's what they're telling us. They're telling us that this is a day where you can concentrate a bit better. You can think a bit bigger. You can set goals that maybe seem a little bit far out of reach on another day, but all of a sudden on, on this day, yeah, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could be that person that I thought I couldn't be. And so it's so important for us to seize that moment, to seize the day and take advantage and, and imagine, you know, the things we can do. Think big, think great things, and, and also take advantage that we can concentrate on our prayers maybe a little bit better. I don't know. I find it for myself. Maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you can't. Um, but hopefully, if in the past it, you didn't feel it, maybe this year you'll feel it a little more knowing that, that it's there, that it's, it should be a little bit easier for you. <clears throat> the, the Talmud tells us something that at first glance doesn't seem so meaningful. The Talmud says that on Rosh Hashanah, Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah were remembered. Sarah, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, of Abraham, didn't have children at first. And she was remembered on the day of Rosh Hashanah to have a child. We actually read what the Torah reading, the Torah service for the first day of Rosh Hashanah is the chapter that deals with Sarah um, and, uh, and becoming, becoming pregnant and having Yitzchak. The, the Talmud says Rachel also was remembered on Rosh Hashanah. And Hannah, Hannah was the mother of Shmuel, Samuel the prophet. Also a whole story there in, in the book of Samuel where she visited the temple and she, which was the Mishkan then, it was the tabernacle and, and she had no children and her husband's other wife had, had many children and she prayed and she was finally answering, had a child, Shmuel, Samuel. So Talmud says all this happened on Rosh Hashanah. Now I see it, say that it's not, you know, at first it's not such a, you know, it doesn't seem to be telling us much because I thought that anyways, Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment where everything is determined for the year. So wouldn't it follow that anybody who becomes pregnant that year, it was determined already the previous Rosh Hashanah? Like what's unique about these three people that they were remembered on Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. Everything for that year is determined on Rosh Hashanah. So 
I think that that Rabbi Menachem Meiri has a, who has a comment on this. He doesn't ask this question, but I think he's really coming to answer this question because he comments over here that the reason why we read the Torah reading about Sarah and having a child, and the reason why the Haftarah, the Haftarah for the first day of Rosh Hashanah is the story of, of Hannah, Samuel, Shmuel's mother, becoming pregnant and having a child. The reason why we read that is, he says, and I'll tell you his language because it's important, it's subtle, but it's important, he says, that they were remembered through their prayers. And he says, the reason why we read it is to awaken us and help us realize that they were remembered as a result of their prayers. And I think it could be, he's saying, you could probably interpret his words in, 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 in two different ways. Um, either that they had previously prayed and as a result of those prayers, they were remembered on Rosh Hashanah. Or it could be that he's saying, and I think this is the more simple understanding, is that their prayers, their, their, the prayers that, that worked, the prayers that were effective were the prayers that they prayed on Rosh Hashanah. And that's why we read it on Rosh Hashanah. It's telling us, realize these women were barren. They were faced with this great challenge. And, and what, when was it that they finally broke through with their prayers? Because sometimes it can take a lot of praying. The day that they finally broke through was on Rosh Hashanah. That's what the Talmud is really telling us. On Rosh Hashanah, Sarah, Rachel, Rachel, and Hannah were remembered, meaning that's when their prayer was finally answered, the prayer of Rosh Hashanah. And perhaps it really comes back to what we were just describing. On Rosh Hashanah, all of a sudden, we, we were imbued with a, with, with a, you know, a, new, a new sense, a new a new clarity, uh, we can take it to a new level. And perhaps that's what they did. And that's why on that day, that's the day that they got their prayers answered. So we certainly want to approach Rosh Hashanah with the knowledge that it's a great day for praying. And obviously that's, you know, I think for most of us, when we think of Rosh Hashanah, we think of shofar and we think of uh, the long davening, you know, going to shul and, uh, and, and, and doing a lot of praying because that's what we do. But there's there's a reason for that. It's a great day for prayer. So what we're going to do is hopefully just try to create a framework for maybe what, what we should be concentrating on on Rosh Hashanah. And we'll obviously derive it from the prayers themselves and try to give us an approach. So, so being that it's a day of judgment, we're going to be judged for what the year is going to look like. We should probably be praying for all the things that we're going to need this coming year. So we should be praying for sustenance and we should be praying for good health and we should be praying for wisdom and we should be praying for, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we need. Whatever it is that we want, today is the day that we're being judged whether we're going to receive that. So it's funny because if we compare the daily prayer, we call the weekday Amidah, to the Rosh Hashanah prayers, where it's gonna, it's, it becomes a little bit confusing. So again, on the source sheet number three, so we have an excerpt from the weekday Amidah prayer. This is what we pray every day of the week for those who pray daily or or who pray on a weekday, this is what you'd be praying. So one of the blessings, we, we've learned about these in, you know, in the previous weeks of the class. Number three, for example, endow us graciously from yourself with wisdom, insight, and discernment. So we pray for wisdom, beautiful prayer. We pray right, to, to be able to, to make the right decisions, to have proper judgment, beautiful prayer. We pray this prayer every day as part of the Amidah. We pray, bring complete recovery from all of our ailments. We pray for the sick to be healed. Beautiful prayer. We pray for sustenance. Satisfy us from your bounty. Bless our year like the best of years. We pray for sustenance every day of the year. But on Rosh Hashanah, we don't say any of these blessings. In fact, we don't really ask for anything for ourselves. 
What do we say on Rosh Hashanah? So we're not going to read through all the prayers, but I, I exerted some of them. And number four, this is sort of the, the focus that we repeat every time we, we say the Amidah, the main prayer on Rosh Hashanah. So we will say this in the morning prayer, Shachris, we'll say this at Musaf, we'll say this at Mincha, we'll say this at Mariv. And actually we say all again on Yom Kippur for each time. So we say, let all works revere you. And all those who you have created prostrate themselves before you. So we want all, all the creations to recognize God and to bow to him. That's what we pray for. And we say, so too grant honor to your people, gladness to your land and joy to your city. So we're praying for Israel, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. Preparation of a lamp for the son of Yishai, the Mashiach, Messiah. We pray for Messiah, the descendant of, da of King David, who's the son of Yishai. Uh, speedily, you know, speedily in our days. And so too the righteous will see and be glad. All wickedness will evaporate like smoke. When you will remove evil's domination from earth, we pray that wickedness should go away. There should be only goodness on earth. Then you, God, will reign alone over all your works in Jerusalem, your holy city. We pray that God should reign over all his works. And actually, that's a theme that we basically repeat over and over and over and over again is the idea that God is king, right? We proclaim God's kingship, I don't know, hundreds of times probably over the two days of of Rosh Hashanah, you maybe even on one day we say a hundred times, I'm not sure, probably, right? Over and over and over again. So we're not asking for all the things that we need for this coming year, even though we're being judged for what the year is going to look like. This doesn't really seem to have anything to do with the day of judgment. If anything, we should flip it around. We should be praying for health, wisdom, all those things on Rosh Hashanah. On a regular day, maybe, okay, you could, you can't, but on Rosh Hashanah, for sure, we should be praying for those things. So why, why are we so focused on really, you know, something so lofty, something like the whole world coming to recognition of God? It's great, but why, why is that the prayer on Rosh Hashanah? So Rabbi Matisyao Solomon, He's one of the spiritual leaders in Lakewood, New Jersey. He should be well. He's actually quite elderly and sick now, but this should be a merit for him that we quote him. So, so he gives a parable to, to help us explain what we're doing here. And the parable is, as most par good parables are, about a king. There's a king of a country, and in this country, the main resource for this country where they get, you know, where, where they collect their, uh, their, their uh, they fill their coffers is from building materials. There's mining and there's quarries and there's, so there's stone and there's forest, there's wood, and they sell their stone and their marble and their wood and all this stuff to other countries. They sell it to, within their own country, the government sells it to the, the builders in the country. And one day, one of the great designers, one of the great builders within this country, he happens to be someone who's close with the king. He approaches the king and he says, you know, Mr. King, 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 you, uh, you have a nice house, but you could really do better. Like your house isn't even that much nicer than mine, right? So... I want, I'm, I'm like the greatest builder in your land. Let me design a new palace for you. So the king is thrilled with this idea. It sounds like a fantastic idea to him. And he agrees. Sure, you could build me a palace. And not only that, but since it's for me, I'm going to give you all the materials for free. I'm not going to charge you for all the marble and the, the stone and the wood. This is, this is, you're building this, this, this for me. I'm not going to charge you. So he says, just go to the store, go to the store. You know, we have like our, our Home Depot where you can get all your materials. Just go to Home Depot and they'll, they'll give you anything. They'll give you everything you need. So the, the, the builder goes to the, to the store, goes to the warehouse and he comes with a whole list. And I need this material for the floors and this material for the walls and for the, we have to build a nice foundation and we're gonna have pillars and we're gonna have everything. It's gonna be a beautiful, you know, there's gonna be gold trim, whatever, the most beautiful palace. And the workers are running around at his beck and call. They're going and they're bringing him everything that he needs. 
they're loaning it onto his truck and all the other builders who are shopping there are like, you know, what's going on? This isn't, why is he getting such good service and they're not even charging him? And then they realize, they find out, oh, the rumor starts to go around. You know why he's getting this? You know why he's getting everything he needs? Because he is trying to build a palace for the king. So that's the parable. And what we call the nimshal, the explanation of the parable is that on Rosh Hashanah, we're thinking big, we're thinking lofty. We're not thinking about the little thing that we might need for ourselves, although it's, you know, it might be something important, but it's not really what we're thinking about, at least initially on Rosh Hashanah. You know, at Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of the world. We should probably be considering the purpose of creation. And, you know, obviously that's a class in itself, but one of the purposes of creation is certainly that the world should come to recognize God, honor God, and we can call it to, to make the world an abode where God dwells, so to speak, to build a palace on earth for God. <clears throat> We're building a palace for him. That's our mission. That's our goal to bring godliness into the world, to emulate God's ways. So that's what we're thinking about. We're, that's what we're focused on on Rosh Hashanah. We talk about, like everybody revere you, <clears throat> prostrate themselves to you, grant honor to your people, bring Mashiach, which creates a, you know, which, which is a time we learned about it, right? That, that everybody will recognize God you, God, will reign alone. Everybody will, 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 will proclaim God as king. That's the world reaching its ultimate, its ultimate purpose. That's us creating a palace for God in this world. And so that's our goal. That's what we're focused on, on Rosh Hashanah. And when we ask now for other things, so we're not asking really for ourselves. We're focused on our mission. Uh, my mission is to bring honor to God. Now, of course, to bring honor to God, I can't be sick in bed. So, and you know, neither can others. So I, I pray for good health. If I'm starving and I can't sustain myself, I also can't bring honor to God. I can't, I can't fulfill my, my part in that. And so I pray for good health for myself, for others. I pray for sustenance. I pray for wisdom. All of those things are the builder going, we are the builders and we need to go to the warehouse. But if we, if, if our, you know, we hope that if, if, if our purpose in going and asking for these things is to build a palace for the king, so then the king is going to agree readily to grant us all of those things free of charge, it's yours. So on Rosh Hashanah, we set out and we go to the king and we say, we turn to God and we say, we, will, we want to build a palace for you on this earth. We want everybody to recognize you and proclaim you as king. Now, later, separately from that, on Rosh Hashanah, throughout the year, we can ask for all those other things. But now it's with a new perspective. Now it's not just asking for ourselves because it's something that I need, but it's something that I need to fulfill my role in bringing honor to God in the world, to building a palace for God in this world. And if that's the case, then we pray at least that God will be more readily, more ready to grant those wishes because ultimately it's for such a, such a lofty purpose. Um, <clears throat> now, based on what we're saying, if we now take, take it to the next step, right? Is that we really each have a, our own way of contributing to this ultimate purpose. And we actually express this in the, the prayer somewhat, but also just at, the, the concept is certainly very relevant to the day of Rosh Hashanah. So one of the most famous prayers of Rosh Hashanah is the prayer of Unisane Tokef. It's found in the repetition of Musaf and Literally, the words unisane tokef means let us relate the power of the day. And that's the, the, where we basically describe how 
important this day is, how everything is dependent on the, the day of judgment. So you look at number five, it let us now relate the power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. It is true that you alone are the one who judges, who writes and seals. All mankind will pass before you like B'nai Maron. I didn't translate that yet because we're going to talk about what that means. But it says, we say in this prayer, all mankind will pass before you like B'nai Maron. So actually in the prayer we say, like a shepherd inspecting his flock, making sheep pass under his staff, so shall you cause to pass count, calculate and consider the soul of all living, and you shall apportion the fixed needs of all your creatures and inscribe their verdict. So this is the day of judgment. Everybody is judged one by one, which by the way itself is very empowering. It tells us that God, each person is important to God. That's why God judges them individually, each of us individually because everybody is important. Everybody makes a difference. Everybody has a contribution. But I, I deliberately didn't translate the words B'nai Maron because the Talmud actually has a little bit of a discussion, a debate, or maybe it's a debate, um, as to what that means. So it's in the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah, number six, it says, and this is what this prayer is based on, really, based on the Talmud. On Rosh Hashanah, all that come to the world pass before him like B'nai Maron. And the Talmud asks, what is meant by the expression B'nai Maron? We pass before God like B'nai Maron. What does that mean? So the Talmud actually gives three answers. It says, here it was translated B'nai Amarna. You know what B'nai Maron is? B'nai Maron is B'nai Amarna. What's B'nai Amarna? That's an excellent question. So we turn to the great commentary Rashi, who tells us what it means, and it's also there. And Rashi says what it means is like sheep counted for tithing, filing past in single file through a small opening where two cannot fit through together. So it's an expression, a shepherd counting the sheep one by one. And that's what we're expressing that we're being counted one by one. And this is actually the interpretation that the prayer Unisana Tokef assumes, because like we just saw, it says in the prayer itself, in number five, all mankind will pass before you like B'nai Maron, like a shepherd inspecting his flock. So that's the interpretation that the, the author of that prayer um, adopted. Okay, that's number one. Number two, we continue in, in source six, the third paragraph, Reish Lakish explained, like the steps of the house of Maron. What's B'nai Maron? We passed before God like B'nai Maron, like the, the steps of the house of Maron. Have you ever been to Maron, the house of Maron? This is not Maron, by the way. This is Maron, different place. Well, I've never been there either. I don't know if we know where it is. But again, we turn to Rashi. Rashi had the tradition of what this meant. And Rashi says, what's the house of Maron? Where there is a narrow path. There is not enough room for two people to travel alongside one another. And there is a steep valley on either side of the path. So we know these are steps. So it's going up to a house. And on both sides is a cliff. So you can't go up with more than one. It's one person at a time, right? One person up. If one person's trying to come down, uh-oh, everybody has to turn around and go back down, right? So a, a, steep, a steep path up to this house, cliff on both sides. That's the imagery that this interpretation is trying to give us. And number three, Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, like the soldiers of the house of David. We're counted, we pass before God like the soldiers of the house of David. What does that mean? Again, Rashi tells us, i.e. like soldiers in the king's army. Maron is an expression of mastery and lordship from the Hebrew word like mar, which is a master. So Maron means master. And it's saying we are like B'nai Maron. We're, we're, we're like soldiers in the master's army, in the king's army. And such is the way one counts soldiers as they march out to battle one after the other. So we're counted one by one like soldiers marching out to battle. So these are the three interpretations. Number one, like sheep passing before a shepherd counting his, his flock one by one, like people going up a set of steps that's so thin that you can only go up one by one, or like soldiers going out to battle who can only be counted one by one. So, I mean, what's the point of all this? Just, just tell me, God counts us one by one, right? Why, why do we need to say like sheep, passing by the shepherd or like people going up a, a cliff face, a, a, you know, steps up a cliff or soldiers, like you just tell me one by one. I know what that means. 
it seems unnecessary. Three and three different opinions to tell us what one by one means. So it's clear that the Talmud is trying to tell us something more. It's giving us a metaphor. You know, in each of these answers, it's 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 telling us something deeper. Each of these answers represents a different way that God is going to relate to us as he counts us. He'll relate to us like sheep. He'll relate to us like people going up a mountain, like steps up a mountain or down. Or he'll relate to us like soldiers going out to battle. So what would each of these things mean? What do they represent? So Rabbi Zev left. The rabbi in Moshe Matisyal in Israel, formerly, I think, of Miami. So Rabbi Leff gives uh, his own interpretation of this, which is very beautiful. So start with number one, the shepherd. So God counts us on Rosh Hashanah like a shepherd counts his sheep. Why does a shepherd count his sheep? To know how many there are, right? So, but there's, there's, there's multiple reasons. He wants to see if they're all there. Maybe some of them ran away. They're not part of his flock anymore, right? And even if they are all there, he still wants to see each one, see how they're doing, check if they're healthy, and see if they, you know, sometimes a shepherd has a brand that shows that it's part of his flock, you know, some dye on the wool or something. He wants to check if that's there. So similarly, says Rabbi Lef, God is looking to see if we are still part of his flock. Each person passes before God like a shepherd. He's looking, is anybody missing? You know, has anybody, God forbid, run away from him, run away from his flock? And even if we are part of our, his flock, so but how healthy are we? Are we not physically healthy, but spiritually healthy? You know, are we, are, are we, have we done good deeds this year? Have we developed our character? How's our character doing? Right? Do we do mitzvot? What do you know? How spiritually healthy are we? Are, are, you know, how strong are our beliefs? Do we work on that? Do we study Torah? You know, all that is taken into account. And he scrutinizes each of us one by one because it's, it means something to him. It's important to him, each of us. And do we wear his brand? Do we consider ourselves part of the flock? Right? So all of that is captured in the, the image and the metaphor of God counting us like sheep. That's number one. Number two is we're like people going up a thin mountain pass one by one. So what is that teaching us? What does that metaphor show us? So the truth is that you could have two people who are in exactly the same place spiritually, meaning let's say they do all the same mitzvos, their character is exactly equal. They, they're, you know, they have all the same level of honesty and all the same level of kindness. And, you know, everything is exactly even, but there could still be, and you look at these two people and they look exactly the same in everything they do, but there still could be a major, major difference between them. And that is, which way are they going on the mountain? Because one of them could have started all the way up here. Gotta make sure I'm still on the camera, right? And one of them could have started all the way down here. And the reason why on Rosh Hashanah they're the same is because they just happened to meet up there, right? And today they're both, you know, one used to be a 50 and one is, used to be a 30, and now they're both a, a 40, right? Whatever that, you know, rating in God's, God's scorebook, right? But those are two very different people, two very different situations. They're the same. The you know, it's like you see those two sheep. They're doing the same thing. They're as they're equally healthy, except that one of them is on his way down the mountain, and one of them is on his way up the up the mountain, up the steps or down the steps, and uh, and that's the second thing that God is looking at. God wants us to always be going up, to always be growing, to always be trying. And he's examining that. In fact, we call humans, the, the, there's a verse that describes humans versus angels. It calls humans as goers, walkers, and it calls, it calls angels standing, standers. Because angels, they can't, you know, again, I've never met an angel, but 
It's a spiritual being that has, according to most understandings, no free will whatsoever. And so it doesn't grow. It doesn't, and it doesn't go down. It just stays stagnant. It stays the same at all times. But a person, a person can grow and a person is supposed to be growing. And, uh, and that's the second thing that God is looking for on Rosh Hashanah. Which way are we going? Are we growing or are we, you know, God forbid, going, going down the mountain? That's the second thing that's being captured in this metaphor. We, we, are, we are examined one by one which way we're going on the steps, going up or going down. And hopefully we're all going up. And the third, the third, yeah, Sue, you wanted to say something? No? Yeah. Oh. Um, if we're, is it possible that even though um, someone is always making the effort upwards, they could still, um, I guess you could say trip on something, they could fall and that's part of their growth too? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's good days and there's bad days. You know, everybody has some, some bad days or goes through a hard period. And uh, part of the, you know, we're always being tested. And part of it is to try to, to be able to rebound from it and, uh, and overcome those, those obstacles. But yeah, certainly. But even somebody who's, you know, if, if somebody's going up and they, they encounter an obstacle, I think, you know, we would still look at them as they're still going up. They just, uh, you know, it, it's like you're trying to, you're trying to climb a, a muddy hill, right? And you slip down a bit. You're still, which way are you going though? We, we wouldn't say you're going down. You're still going up. You're facing up, right? You just slipped a little bit. Yeah, I think that's part of, that's part of everybody experiences that on their, on their life's journey and on their climb. So, so that's the second metaphor here. And the third metaphor, the third aspect of judgment is like soldiers in an army. And that is that idea is bringing out that we could be doing you know great things. We could be on a on a, a great. We're healthy. We know we're part of the flock. We're we've got the brand. We've got everything, and we're we're going up right. But we also, as God examines us, He also examines us as we relate to all those around us, all those others in the army, right? And each person has a different way that they can contribute. Everyone has, within an army, everybody has unique talents, unique abilities. And uh, the general of the army, he's looking, he's examining his soldiers one by one to, to, to determine and to, to see, you know, what is this person's, um, what, what's, what's this person's potential? What are their abilities? And are they, are they expressing them? Are they bringing them out? And, uh, and that's being expressed over here that we have to, in addition to just doing the right things, we also have to think about our own talents, our own unique strengths. What's our way of contributing to the overall picture? What's our way of contributing to the, the world around us? And this is actually brought out also in another statement in the Talmud, which is number seven. It says there, same same page of Talmud actually, which is why it's somewhat confusing. It says there, Rabbi Bar Bar Chana, the son of the son of Chana, said that Rabbi Yochanan said, and they are all scanned in a single scan. So it says, and so what that means is, God says the, the, the Talmud says God looks at all of everybody one by one, and then along he comes Rabbi uh, Rabbi Bar Bar Chana in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. He says, and God looks at everybody at the same time. So which one is it, right? Is it one by one or is it a single scan where God looks at everybody uh, at the same time? So this, the commentaries explain, is telling us, this is telling us that certainly God looks at us as individuals like we've been describing, but he also looks at us and how we fit into the bigger picture. We all have a contribution to make and, uh, and are, are we making, are we doing our best to bring out our potential the way that, you know, what we can excel in, what, the way that we can contribute? There's a fame, I think it's a somewhat famous line from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. It says, the day that you were born was the day that God decided that the world couldn't exist without you. A beautiful, beautiful line, right? But what, and it 
same thing is expressed in different ways in, 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 in within the works of our sages in the Talmud and the Mishnah. But the, the idea is that if we exist, it's because God wants us, wants us to exist. And that means we have a special contribution that we can make to, to the world. So, so we're, we're to, to, to bring it back to, to you know, the focus of the prayers of, 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 of Rosh Hashanah, we started by saying that on Rosh Hashanah, we don't really focus so much on our personal needs. The prayers are really focused on this sort of global agenda, this lofty, you know, we, we pray to, that, that, that the world can come, can be brought to its purpose where the whole world will recognize God, where the whole world will proclaim God as king. And that is, that's the, the, the main, you know, bulk of the text of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah are discussing that. But what does that have to do with us? You know, what does that have to do with me? I, I pray for that, but what does that have to do with me on a personal level? But the answer is that, that absolutely, each person has something to contribute. If we, if we, if we do our best, you know, if, if, we, if we're thinking, if we're trying, if we're trying to grow, we're trying to, to improve ourselves, we're trying to help those around us. So we're going to make a contribution in a way that nobody else can make. We know different people than other people. We interact with different people. We have different talents. We have different skills. Each of us has, has, has unique abilities and something unique to offer to the world, to those around us. Each of us can uniquely impact the world at large and impact this mission of bringing about God's sovereignty, bringing about um, this, this time that we pray for. And that's through self-development, it's through mitzvot, through doing, doing the, the mitzvot, all of this contributes to that, to bringing about that, that day and that, that, uh, that period. And so it's, it's, on the one hand, we're focused on this, this sort of global picture, this grand picture, but what we, what we really need to be doing on Rosh Hashanah, when we think about that, when we talk about, when we pray about that, we should be thinking to ourselves, I'm praying for this, and where do I fit in? You know, what can I do to, 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 to bring that about? Where, where can I improve? It's, Rosh Hashanah is, a, is the day that man was created, right? It's, it's the anniversary of the creation of the world. Really, it's, it's the day that man was created. The world was created actually six days. Man was created. Adam, Chava, Adam and Eve were created on Rosh Hashanah. It's the anniversary of creation. It's a day where we can renew ourselves. And so when we're, when we're sort of drawing this lofty vision of what's important, I want to build a palace for God in the world. So we are, we're also thinking on a personal level. So, you know, what's, how do I contribute to that? What do I do? What are the, what are the mitzvah that I excel in? What are the things that I can do? There's a beautiful story about the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Berlin. Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Berlin was one of the Rosh Yeshivas, the deans of the Yeshiva of Olajan. Um, and, and he, interestingly, he, not everybody realized quite how great he was at, at, at first. Um, but even when, he was, even when he was a kid, so the story is told that he didn't really apply himself to his studies, to his Torah study. And his parents decided, you know, I don't think that Torah study is for him. They were going, you know, because it's not for everyone to be to devote one's life to Torah study. They decided they're going to apprentice him to a shoemaker. You know, a nice, a nice career. But he, 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 when he realized that that was their plan, he said, no, 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 no. I'm going, I'm sorry that I haven't applied myself before. I'm ready to apply myself to my studies. And he did. You know, this was as a kid, he said this, but he did. He applied himself and he grew to be a tremendous, tremendous leader, a tremendous author. We've quoted his, him, him in, in, in this class in the past um, or in different phases of this, this class. Tremendous, tremendous author. His works are, are classics. And when he completed one of his works, he made a celebration. Um, and when he's in his speech, he told, this, this story, 
and of how he, you know, he, he almost ended up being a shoemaker. And had he been a shoemaker, this, this work that he had now published would never, would never come about. And he said, you know, I would have been a very fine shoemaker and I would have been a very fine Jew. I would have been a fine Jew, a law-abiding Jew, follow the Torah. And, and when it came about Yom Kippur, I would have thought to myself, I'm, I'm an honest businessman. I'm an honest shoemaker. I don't cheat anyone. I'm an upright Jew. And I would have thought everything is just perfect, right? I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my job. And after 120 years, when I would, would pass away and arrive in heaven, they would have turned to me and they would have asked me the, the names of his, of his works. One was Hamek Davar. One was Hamek Sheila, one was Meshiv Davar. He said they would have come before God, you know, in the, the heavenly court. And he would have asked me, so where's your Hamik Davar? Where's your great work, Hamik Davar? Where's your great work, Hamik Sheila? Where's your great work, Meshiv Davar? Where are they? And I wouldn't have known what they were talking about. I would have no clue, right? And I would have thought they're crazy. What, what, are, what are these things that you're, that you're, that you're, talking, where's my work? I'm a, I'm a simple shoemaker. What do you mean? And he said that sometimes there can be a gap, a big gap between our potential and our actual achievements. There can be a gap. And that's not to say, I'm not trying to say that all of us have to be Rabbi Naftali T. Berlin, you know, and have to be the Nitziv and have to be a rabbi and have to publish great works. But everybody has something that they can contribute, something that they are meant to contribute. We have our own masterpiece. It could be something totally different, but we have our own contribution to make. And it could be, we hope that we're making it, right? But it's also always possible that there's a bit of a gap. We think maybe this is how it's meant to be. This is who I'm supposed to be. And that's, and that's, that's who I am and that's how it is. But it could be that we have a potential to do something so much greater. Who knows? If we don't try, if we're not trying for greater things, then we'll never know. We'll never know what, you know, what our true potential is. And, and that's something that we can consider as we, as we pray on Rosh Hashanah and we think big and we think about you know, the, the world and building a palace for God in this world. Am, you know, how am I contributing? Am I, am I reaching my potential? And is there something more, something else that I could be doing? And then when I pray and I ask God for, for things that I need, I'm not just praying because I think I need it. I'm praying because I realize or that this is in order for me to contribute, in order for me to do what I, what I need to do, these things are going to help me along the way. I want to bring more godliness to the world. I want to contribute more. When our, when our prayers are backed by that, it's so much more powerful. Another great story, Rabbi, there's a, there's a fellow named Rabbi Yosef Eckstein. Rabbi Yosef Eckstein was born in 1944 in Budapest. And he survived, he was a baby. He was born during the Holocaust. And, he's, and, and his father always used to tell him that you survived for a purpose. Right? We're saying now everybody's born for a purpose. His father would say, you survived for a purpose. And like many of us, he didn't know what, what his purpose was. Right? And Rabbi Eckstein had five children, I believe. And unfortunately, four of them died of gen the genetic disease Tay-Sachs. And I think this was in the 80s, 70s, 80s. And Rabbi Eckstein decided that he would start an organization that tests parents before they get couples, before they get married, or actually even before they get too involved with each other, um, for do provide genetic testing for them and determine if they are both if they are both carriers of a genetic disease, it would inform them so that they don't proceed in their relationship and uh, and marry. And this is common 
I mean, many, there's many ways to get genetic testing, but but what this this organization is called Dori Yasharim, and it's it I did Dori Yasharim. It's 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 pretty common in the at least in the in the Orthodox world, and uh, and it's standard, and it's saved so many so many couples that could have you know God forbid had children that would have had um, genetic diseases, and uh, it's done in a very discreet way. It's a beautiful beautiful thing, and very you know has had tremendous benefit to the, to the world. He, he, you know, he, he didn't know what his purpose was. He went through such challenges as you can imagine. And he, as a result of those challenges, again, I'm not gonna say that was his purpose, but that, you know, that, that was a tremendous contribution that he was able to make. Again, we don't always have to be, make the organization that becomes you know, such, a, such a, uh, a difference maker. That's not necessarily for us, we don't, but, but again, it's an inspiration. I hope that that sometimes we don't realize yet what what it is that we can contribute. And this is the day that we can try to focus on that. So again, to bring us bring us full circle, Rosh Hashanah is a day where we think big. It's a day where the 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 Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, is weakened. It's a day, you know. Today, some of this might seem, you know, Rabbi, like, what are you talking about? I'm me, and that's not me. Yeah, could be on Rosh Hashanah though. All of a sudden, we're like, you know, maybe I could do some things I didn't think I could do. And certainly, we can focus our prayers in a way that we normally aren't capable of focusing. There's that special power that's granted to us on Rosh Hashanah, and Yet the focus of our prayers is, is, is God, God is king, recognizing ultimately what the mission of the, and purpose of the world is, proclaiming that that's, the, that's, that's what's most important. And that's what we are trying to build towards. Each of us in our, in our own way, we, God looks at us each individually because each of us is important. And each of us has a contribution. He looks at us like sheep to check if we're healthy, to check if we're with the flock. He looks at us like, like people going up a mountain to make sure we're on our way up and not God forbid on our way down. And he looks at us like soldiers because really each of us has our own unique talent and our own unique way of contributing. And on Rosh Hashanah, it's something that we think about as we think about this lofty vision for the world, bringing more godliness into the world. So we think about how we can elevate ourselves. And, and when we, I think when we approach Rosh Hashanah with that perspective, and we approach our prayers with that perspective, then that is certainly a great merit for us because we're telling God, you know, I'm going to be a difference maker. You know, I grant me my, you know, my needs. Remember us for life because I have what to contribute. I have, I have, uh, I, I, I'm going to be doing my best to make a difference in the world, to, to bring about its purpose, to bring you honor in this world. And if we approach the prayers with that perspective, then I think that they can be indeed very powerful. Okay, that's where we'll stop today. We'll be we'll we'll continue next week. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very much.